Good morning, Lakeside. Glad to see you here today. I'm Steve Collard. I serve on the pastor, elder, and teaching teams here, and it's my privilege to cover the next question in our Q&A with God series. The question we're arriving at today is, what is that in your hand? And it comes from a conversation that God had with Moses. So what do you think of when you think of Moses, the name Moses? For people my age, it's Charlton Heston. <laughs> All right, 1956, the Ten Commandments. But for others, it might be uh, Mel Brooks' History of the World, Moses. <laughs> I hope not, but it might be. Or it could be the Prince of Egypt, Moses. And uh, he looks a lot like the Ten Commandments, Moses, I notice. Or Christian Bale from God and Kings, Moses, uh, 2014. Or we might all have an image of Moses from a children's uh, storybook of the Bible, like this one. Um, he was the most important prophet in Judaism. He wrote the first five books of the Old Testament. And he had a great impact on history, which is why there are so many movies and books about him. But in the conversation he had with God that we're going to cover today, I think you're going to see he, he was actually a lot like us. We have a lot of similarities. Do you ever have doubts in your own abilities? Moses had doubts. Uh, do you ever shy away from a task? You feel that you're overmatched? Moses was afraid to take action sometimes. You ever wonder what God's doing in your life? What, what's the next step? Moses didn't always understand what God was doing in his life. In fact, he argued with God and he tried to avoid the next step that God had for him at times. So as we consider what is that in your hand, in the surrounding story, I think you're going to find and I'll find that we have a lot in common with Moses and a lot to be encouraged about and the way God worked in his life, the way he can work in our lives. We'll find that God uses ordinary people in ordinary circumstances to do extraordinary things for him. And so that's what we're going to cover. So why don't we do a history? The first point is just a review. How, how did Moses get here to this conversation? So we're going to actually turn to Acts chapter 7, where there's a good summary of the life of Moses. Um, beginning at verse 20, Acts chapter 7, verse 20. At this time, Moses was born, and he was beautiful in God's sight, and he was brought up for three months in his father's house. And when he was exposed, Pharaoh's daughter adopted him and brought him up as her own son. And Moses was instructed in all the wisdom of the Egyptians, and he was mighty in his words and deeds. When he was 40 years old, it came into his heart to visit his brothers, the children of Israel. And seeing one of them being wronged, he defended the oppressed man and avenged him by striking down the Egyptian. He supposed that his brothers would understand that God was giving them salvation by his hand, but they did not understand. And on the following day, he appeared to them as they were quarreling. And tried to reconcile them, saying, Men, you're brothers. Why do you wrong each other? But the man who was wronging his neighbor thrust him aside, saying, 
Who made you a ruler and a judge over us? Do you want to kill me as you killed the Egyptian yesterday? At this retort, Moses fled and became an exile in the land of Midian, where he became the father of two sons. Now when 40 years had passed, an angel appeared to him in the wilderness of Mount Sinai in a flame of fire in a bush. Sometimes we forget because the movie images and the children's storybooks make him look younger that when Moses encountered the burning bush, he was 80 years old. Those images didn't, didn't look, especially the last one. But here's the thing, I just want to comment about that. Those of us who are older, we don't get a pass today. God still has plans for us. His first 40 years were very eventful. He was almost killed when Pharaoh was trying to eliminate all of the Hebrew baby boys, then adopted, raised as a prince, spent years learning the wisdom of the Egyptians. And be sure to notice this. It said he was mighty in his words and his deeds. He even thought God was going to rescue Israel with him as the leader back when he was 40 but it all went really bad, and he had to flee for his life, and he had to start over with nothing at the age of 40. And that's an important point. Our God is a God of second chances. Many of the experiences that you have when you're young help prepare you for experiences later in life, for the next step. And then after he started over at age 40, the next 40 years, this is what really struck me, were summed up in one sentence. He became an exile and a father of two sons. That was it. 40 years. 40 years goes by, just a shepherd, going to work every day, taking care of his family, an ordinary occupation, in an ordinary place. And so we also might feel that way sometimes, just going to work or school, taking care of my family, minding my own business, nothing much happening. As the great American philosopher John Mellencamp said, <laughs> oh yeah, life goes on long after the thrill of living is gone. Everything may seem ordinary, but something extraordinary was about to happen. God was working through all of this. His plan went way back, way before Moses. And it seemed God's been silent for a long time, but he had not been absent. And so now we come to the point that God gets Moses' attention. And let's read now in, in the book of Exodus, back uh, second book of the Bible, Exodus chapter 3, and we're going to start reading where God speaks to Moses. The story starts in verse 1. Now Moses was keeping the flock of his father-in-law, Jethro, the priest of Midian, and he led his flock to the west side of the wilderness and came to Horeb, the mountain of God. And the angel of the Lord appeared to him in a flame of fire out of the midst of a bush. He looked, and behold, the bush was burning, yet it was not consumed. And Moses said, I will turn aside to see this great sight, why the bush is not burned. And when the Lord saw that, 
he turned aside to see, God called to him out of the bush, Moses, Moses. And he said, here I am. Then he said, do not come near. Take your sandals off your feet, for the place on which you are standing is holy ground. And he said, I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. And Moses hid his face, for he was afraid to look at God. Then the Lord said, I have surely seen the affliction of my people who are in Egypt and have heard their cry because of their taskmasters. I know their sufferings, and I have come down to deliver them out of the hand of the Egyptians and to bring them up out of that land to a good and broad land, a land flowing with milk and honey. Verse 9, And now, behold, the cry of the people of Israel has come to me, and I have also seen the oppression with which the Egyptians press them. So God was about to do something extraordinary. He wanted Moses to be part of it. Our God's a personal God. He knows us by name, just as he called Moses by name. And you never know when you're going to have your own burning bush moment when God will nudge you out of your comfort zone, set a new uh, direction for your life. And here God impressed upon Moses great truths about himself. Number one, God's holy. Holiness speaks to everything about God that sets him apart from us. His moral perfection, his goodness, his justice, his love. He's so far above us. Number two, God doesn't forget his promises. He's the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. That brought front and center to Moses that God had not forgotten his promises to Abraham to bless his descendants, to bring him to the promised land. Number three, God cares about us. Always impresses me deeply when I read the people of Israel were suffering and crying out for deliverance, and God said, I've seen, I've heard. I know, I know what you're going through. And that's brought me comfort and, and so many times in my own life when, when life really gets hard, God knows what you're going through. And number four, God is working to save us. His greater purpose at this time was to rescue Israel from suffering and oppression. And as he revealed his plan for Israel, he brought Moses into that plan. Exodus chapter 3, verse 10. Come, I will send you to Pharaoh that you may bring my people, the children of Israel, out of Egypt. Greatest news Moses could ever hear, right? God's sending him to Pharaoh. You can't blame Moses for thinking back 40 years to the last plan he had to lead Israel out of Egypt. I mean, you don't forget for a moment moments in your life when you were running for your life. And remember what they said about him then? Who made you? Who made you to be the, the ruler and judge over us? And that kind of rejection is hard to forget. 
So Moses has, says, I have questions. I have questions. And uh, we're going to read those starting at verse 11, Exodus 3:11. Moses said to God, who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and bring the children of Israel out of Egypt? Who am I? That question always comes to our minds when we think everything depends on us. Who am I? We feel the pressure, fear overwhelms us, and we're thinking, I'm not good enough. I'm not up to this. Remember the summary of Moses' life in Acts chapter 7 said, he was mighty in words and deeds. Moses didn't feel that way. He, he wasn't convinced. And so God gives him the best promise in verse 12. Verse 12, he said, but I will be with you. That's what he needed to hear. That's what each of us needs to hear. But I will be with you. Moses still had a question. Verse 13, then Moses said to God, if I come to the people of Israel and say to them, the God of your fathers has sent me to you, and they ask me, what is his name? What shall I say to them? God said to Moses, I am who I am. And he said, say this to the people of Israel, I am has sent me to you. God also said to Moses, say this to the people of Israel, the Lord, the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob has sent me to you, this is my name forever. And thus I am to be remembered throughout all generations. I mean, this was a really amazing moment. It was important for Moses to really understand who God was. I am who I am. God's name declares he is unchanging, always present, always God. I love the way Louis Giglio put it. He said, God was telling Moses, I am the center of everything. I am running the show. I am the same every day forever. I am the creator and sustainer of life. I am more than enough. I am inexhaustible and immeasurable. I am who I am. I am God. This is the God we're here to focus on this morning. That in our smallness and our neediness and our weakness, God is I am. He's more than enough. He's eternal. He said, this is my name forever. This God has promised to be with us and to be for us. And he chose this moment to pull Moses out of the routine life he'd been living for the last 40 years to be part of his forever purpose. So I need to ask, before I even get to today's main question, do you know God in a personal way? Because while God's purpose at this point in Moses' story was to rescue his people Israel, the Bible teaches us that his purpose now is to save you and me. Paul the Apostle's first letter to Timothy, chapter 1, verse 15, he wrote, The saying is trustworthy 
and deserving of full acceptance that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners of whom I am the foremost. And in chapter 2, verse 3, he goes on to say, This is good and it is pleasing in the sight of God, our Savior, who desires all people to be saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth. Jesus died for us to save us, and that was God's plan from the beginning. It's his purpose for us now. He wants to save us from our sins. He wants to get to know us. He wants us to understand his truth. He wants us to live our lives with him. That's the grand purpose. It starts with acknowledging who he is and turning our lives over to him. Romans chapter 10, verse 9 says, Because if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. Jesus came that we might be saved. He desires that we might be saved and come to know him. Faith in him, not in our own efforts, is what saves us. Back to Moses. God reveals himself to Moses supernaturally. This must have been quite the sight. And he spells out this great plan of blessing and deliverance for his people. And he asks Moses, come join in this plan. And all Moses can do is make excuses. Who am I? What shall I say? They won't believe me. They won't listen to me. I'm not eloquent. And the kicker, oh my Lord, please send someone else. Isn't that a funny statement? Oh my Lord, please send someone else. And I chuckle and I know I've done it myself. And now we come to this key question, the question of the day, God's question, what is that in your hand? Exodus chapter 4, verse 1 Moses answered, But behold, they will not believe me or listen to my voice, for they will say, The Lord did not appear to you. The Lord said to him, What is that in your hand? He said, A staff. And he said, Throw it on the ground. So he threw it on the ground, and it became a serpent. And Moses ran from it. But the Lord said to Moses, Put out your hand and catch it by the tail. So he put out his hand and caught it. And it became a staff in his hand, that they may believe that the Lord, the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob, has appeared to you. God's going to go with Moses. He's going to empower Moses. And the only thing keeping this from happening is Moses. He's afraid. He has doubts. God's looking for that shred of faith in our hearts. He's looking for ordinary people to believe in him despite their doubts and their weakness. And to prove this to God, God asks the simple question, what is that in your hand? And I, I brought one here. It's not very impressive. 
What is that in your hand? Just this shepherd's staff that he walked with. Something very ordinary. The only extraordinary thing about this staff, I don't, it's not Moses' staff, so you don't have to run like he did, <laughs> is what God could do with it. He threw it down, and it became a serpent. It wasn't a trick. He ran away. It was real. And then he obeyed God, and he put out his hand, and he grabbed it, and it became an ordinary staff again. God was proving that he was present with him, that he has the power that we don't have on our own, that this power is available despite our own doubts, despite our own fears. And so the next few chapters explain how Moses did go back to Egypt, and along with his brother Aaron, he confronted Pharaoh. And there's much that could be said about this staff. In, in chapter 4, he talks about, he, he refers to it as the staff of God. It wasn't even his staff anymore in that sense. And then if you read through the story for years to come, so many mighty things God did through that staff, just an ordinary walking staff, and yet God did great things. And one example in chapter 7, verse 10, when Aaron, as he said, sent someone else, ultimately... He brought Aaron with him to speak to Pharaoh. And so it says in uh, chapter 7, verse 10, So Moses and Aaron went to Pharaoh and did just as the Lord commanded. Aaron cast down his staff before Pharaoh and his servants, and it became a serpent. And then Pharaoh summoned the wise men and the sorcerers, and they, the magicians of Egypt, also did the same by their secret arts, for each man cast down his staff, and they became serpents. But Aaron's staff swallowed up their staffs. The power of God. I would love to have seen that. That's like one of those movies you'll watch a second and a third time. Wow. God would display his power over and over, and ultimately the Hebrew people were rescued from the land of Egypt and started their journey to the promised land. Who was leading them? An ordinary man with an ordinary staff with the power of God. And D.L. Moody summed it up very well. And I was really uh, enjoying just this quick summary. Moses spent his first 40 years thinking he was somebody. He spent his second 40 years learning he was a nobody. He spent his third 40 years discovering what God can do with a nobody. This incident and this question have cut me to the heart many times. It's as if I've heard God ask me at many points in my life, what is that in your hand? Have you sensed the Spirit of God calling you to use what you have in your hand for his glory? Let's break this down word by word. I want you to think it through for yourself. And so the first word is what. Because as believers in Christ, what is a question we should be asking ourselves and ask God in prayer often, what do you want me to do for you today, Lord, that has an eternal purpose? What's going to make a difference in somebody's life today? 
And if you aren't asking the what question, you may be drifting from the purpose he has for your life. For all of us who are believers in Christ, Romans 12.1 is a very important verse that says, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Have we asked the what question lately? What is? Is. Is means we have it in our hand right now. It's not in the future. It's now. Not to discourage planning or training, but is means now. We might be working on a long-range plan, but God wants us to consider what's in our hand right now. Not when everything's perfect later. What's in your hand. And we often make excuses that the time or the situation is not right. Let's look back at another example in the Bible. David. 1 Samuel 17. David's just a boy. The youngest son of Jesse. Running an errand to take food to his brothers who were the real soldiers in the army. And the giant Goliath is threatening the army. And they all ran away in fear. And you could say this was not the right time for David. He was too young. He was not trained or equipped as a soldier. But David knew this task wasn't up to him. It was up to God. And so in verse 45 of 1 Samuel 17, we read, Then David said to the Philistine, You come to me with a sword and with a spear and with a javelin, but I come to you in the name of the Lord of hosts, the God of the armies of Israel, whom you have defied. What was in David's hand, I brought one of those too, maybe even less impressive looking. I don't know how big it was. Smooth stone, that's what it says. Verse 49, David put his hand in his bag and took out a stone and slung it and struck the Philistine on his forehead. And the stone sank into his forehead and he fell on his face to the ground. And so David prevailed over the Philistine with a sling and with a stone. And he struck the Philistine and killed him. There was no sword in the hand of David. Imagine killing a giant just with that stone. David didn't wait for a better time or a better weapon. He was faithful to God in the moment with what he had in his hand. Elizabeth Elliot was a missionary and author whom I deeply admired. And I was listening to a talk she gave recently and she said something that really struck me. She said, there's a time to pray and there's a time to shut up and do it. <laughs> Maybe it's your time to shut up and do it. What's, what's the is in your hand? That. That might be the toughest part for all of us. But there are options here. How has God prepared me? Is there something in my background, in my skill set, 
in my possession that God can use, and, and I've overlooked it. Athlete Tim Tebow once said, you may not think that what you have is much, but God will use whatever that is in ways you can't imagine. It can be something so ordinary as the lunch we brought to school or work. When Jesus asked the disciples what they had to feed thousands of people who'd come to hear him teach in John's Gospel, chapter 6, verse 9, they said, there's a boy here who has five barley loaves and two fish, but what are they? What are they for so many? Another story of something ordinary that in, in this case, Jesus' hand fed them all and they had 12 baskets left over. I know my mom, she taught me hospitality goes a long way to share the love of God and, and she didn't let raising five children a very tight budget, a less than perfect house get in the way. And I'll always remember that. We don't have to be important or well-educated or wealthy, successful people for God to use us. He can use each of us. That thing God can use might simply be the time to sit and lend an ear to someone who needs it. A meal, volunteering at an event, as simple as opening a door or carrying a box. What is that? What is that? And then the word in. What is that in communicates? It's something we possess. It's, it's something we have. It's in our hand. It's not someone else's gift or someone else's experience. It's ours. It's mine. It's what God gave me. Not wise for us to compare what we have to others and possibly get discouraged. That's not, that's not what the point is here. God placed something in our hand. He asked us to trust him, to use it. Do you know what God placed in my hand as a teenager? Zero athletic ability. <laughs> Although I'm, I'm over six feet tall now, it all came during my senior year in high school. And up until then, I was not good enough to make the school sports teams. And after I was cut in the junior high and cut in high school teams, do you know what he placed in my hand? He placed empathy for other kids like me. And so, with that empathy, rather than be a star athlete, I became a youth coach as a teenager coaching young boys with a heart for the underdog, that's what was in my hand. That's what God used. God's word teaches us some of the tough experiences we've gone through, those are the things that are in our hand. Those are, that are that, the things that with our lives, we can use them to the glory of God. And he said specifically in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, beginning at verse 3, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies, the God of all comfort, who comforts us in all our affliction so that we may be able to comfort those who are in any affliction 
with the comfort with which we ourselves are comforted by God. God places us where we are in life to use us for his purposes, to impact others for him if we're willing to let him. How might you use a life experience, something that's part of you, it's in you, to serve God? What is that in your? We come to the word your. This makes it so personal. We tend to say, like Moses, let somebody else do it. God's asking, what is that in your hand? Ephesians chapter 4, verse 16, speaks of the church functioning as a body. In the church, we're all part of one body. And it says, when each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. The church is a body. It only works properly when every part is doing its share using what's in your hand, builds others up in love. It's the loving thing to do, what is in your hand. It's the only way we grow together. And so the last word in this question is hand. What is that in your hand? For Moses, this ordinary staff. For David, this stoned. For a boy whose name we don't even know, a few loaves and fish. What practical thing can we do today? What is readily available to us? And so all these images, it might be a stethoscope. It might be a diaper bag. It might be a hammer or wrench. It might be a guitar, a paintbrush, a piece of chalk, a pen the steering wheel of your car, a five or $20 bill. You know, the odds are, the answer to this question today, what is that in your hand? 90% of the time, you know what it is? That's yeah, your phone. How can you glorify God with your phone? When he asks, what is that in your hand? How are you using that phone? Do you speak life to others on Facebook and Twitter and Instagram and apps that old people like me don't even know about? <laughs> Do you make calls with it to encourage? Do you text someone to lift their spirits or arrange to meet, to lift one another up? What is that in your hand? So after breaking the question down, let's wrap it all up. Today's question, what is that in your hand? It's more about God than it is about us. He has a plan. He wants to save people from their sins. He is reaching out in love to all people. He wants us to be part of that plan. He provides the power. He asks us to supply the ordinary events of our lives, the things we're doing each day, the experiences we've had, our spiritual gifts, the natural abilities he's blessed us with, whatever's in your hand, 
God can use it. God uses ordinary people in ordinary circumstances to accomplish great things. That's what we need to remember. What is that in your hand? Let's just pray. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for the examples you give us. Help us this morning, Father, to keep our eyes on the eternal, the things that matter. Your plan forever. Your holiness, your love. Help us to be a part of that through the ordinary things that we have in our hand. Lord, we pray if any here don't know you in a personal way, they haven't accepted you as Savior, we pray even this day that they would come to know you. That as you instructed us, confess with your mouth, Jesus is Lord. Believe in your heart, God raised him from the dead. You will be saved. Thank you for saving us. Thank you for loving us. Thank you for taking the things that we just ordinarily have and making them great. We commit this word to you, thanking you in Jesus' precious name.